Welcome to the South Metro Ministries podcast. Here's this week's message from Pastor Alan Matura. Remain standing for the word. Take your scriptures, please, and go into the Old Testament to 2 Kings, chapter number 7, for our lesson today. Chapter number 7 in 2 Kings. This is one of my most favorite accounts of the miracles of God working through the man Elisha in the Old Testament. I've chosen for our title today, The Power of a Question. The Power of a Question. And I need to give credit for that title to the person of Christine Kane, who is from the land down under. She's anointed, gifted teacher of the word. I've heard her in person in times past, but recently I've heard her on James Robson's television program, teaching a series, and that idea of the power of a question began to germinate in my mind and my heart, and, and out of it I've been given by the Lord the word for today. 2 Kings 7 verse 1, then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord, Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Pause right there. The people of Samaria who are the people of God are suffering through a famine. And it is because of their disobedience to God. Outside of their city walls and gates, within a half mile reach, is the army of the Syrians, perhaps hundreds of thousands of them. They have food, they have armor, they have animals, they have clothes, they have gold, they have silver. And that army is deliberately starving out the inhabitants of Samaria. But Samaria is also suffering because they repeatedly rejected God. Like James says in his book, to him that knoweth to do good and to him that doeth it not, it's a sin. And sin has its consequences. Just like obedience has its blessings. So things were very expensive to come by if they were available. That's verse 1. Verse 2. When Elisha said things would be so cheap in verse number 1. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Verse 3, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said one to another, Why are we sitting here until we die? There's the question. The power of a question. Verse 4, The lepers said, if we say we will enter the city, the famine's in the city, and, if we, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall only die. And there rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said one to another, the Syrians did, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and, and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose, the Syrians did, and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. 
And when these lepers came to the outskirt of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried it from its silver and gold and clothing and went back and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. When you find good news, you want to share it. When you find bread, you want to tell somebody where you found it. Point your hands in this direction. Pray for me for 10 seconds. Come on, say, say, God help the pastor. Somehow you form your words. And God, as you help the pastor, you help the listener today. Come on, pray it. Father, I do not want us to just have a Sunday thing going on and all we can think about is where we're going to eat and we're going, what we're going to do this evening. I want, to, I want to sanctify these next moments with your anointing. I want you to sanctify it, not me. Sanctify me, sanctify us. Let the words lift off the pages and let them be relevant for us in 2013. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for your assurance. And everybody say amen. And amen it is. You might want to keep your scriptures open to that reference. The power of a question. I pondered on some questions this week. Some questions that I think has the possibility of life impacting or life changing. Come December 22nd, it would be 35 years ago that I asked the second most important question in my life. The first most important question in my life was, will you come into my heart, Jesus, and forgive me of my sins, knowing what you know about me? And he said, yes. That answer never changes if you ask him. Second most important question I asked was under the chimes of the big organ at Stone Mountain Park at the lake on a March day when I found the most beautiful Georgia peach southern belle blonde-headed girl in America. And I asked the question, will you marry me? And I'm sure glad I got the affirmative answer instead of take a hike, Jack. Important question, isn't it? There are other important questions, not necessarily in the order of priority, but questions like, where are you going? What are you doing? Are you leaving? When are you coming back? Are you coming back? Questions like, coming from the doctor's office and the news you got, it's not the news you wanted. And the question is, am I going to get better? How long? Is there a cure? Was it a heart attack? Was it a stroke? What did it, would it mean to my family? Very important questions. Here's one you asked almost every day. And that is, would that be cash or charge? And anyhow you answer it, you lose. I'll, I'll go on. That sounds like meddling. When I look at the scripture, I see some very powerful questions that were asked. I thought I might even start a series on the power of a question, but I'm not sure I'm going there. But let me highlight a few. 
The book of Job, everybody's acquainted with. Everybody feels like we're a cousin to Job because we've been through some stuff. We understand the book of Job is about God allowing Job to be tested. And Job didn't know he was being tested until near the end of the book. Satan had told God about Job that the only reason Job is serving you is because you bless him. You stop blessing him and you let me have him for a little bit and he'll curse you to your face. And Job, God said to the devil, you're wrong. So go ahead and test him. Well, Job didn't know he was participating in the test like many of you, like I sometimes, don't know that God's allowing this to stretch us, to take us to another level. Can I get a witness? So because we don't know and because we're humans, when we are tested, we respond to testings like Job did with many complaints, many questions. Job even cursed the day he was born. He suffered so much until his wife found it unbearable. And don't criticize her until you walk a mile in her moccasin. She said, man, you've lost your children. We've lost our house. We've lost our animals. We've lost our servant. There's disease all over your body. They're oozing boils and you're about to die. Why don't you just go ahead and curse God and die? And he refused to. But throughout the first 37 chapters of Job, he has three friends who visit him and they accuse him for the reason why he's in the mess he's in. You've done some wicked sin. You've done some kind of something. And that wasn't the case. But for 37 chapters in the book of Job, you hear complaints and questions, complaints and questions until the 38th chapter where God says, now it's my turn. I'm going to ask the questions. And for the next several chapters, God asks the questions and you've got to listen and give me an answer. I like the way it's rendered. Put it on the screen in the New Living Translation, chapter 38 of Job, verses 1 through 6. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. And he says, ask the question, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, Job, because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And God says, where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth. Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions. And stretched out its surveying line. What supports its foundation. And who lays its cornerstone. And God continues. Where were you. When I tell the ocean how far to come. And when to stop. Where are you when I form the clouds. And I tell them to send rain. Or sleet or snow. Come on help me hear somebody. Where were you when I created the sun, the moon, and the stars? Be careful how you question God because he's going to have a turn. The power of a question. There's another question in the New Testament that's very powerful. It is about Judas, one of the twelve disciples of Jesus who betrayed him. Judas, you see, according to Luke 22, had prearranged with the priests and the elders and the Jewish people who wanted to kill Jesus. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas would identify who Jesus is and they could arrest him. On the night prior to his crucifixion, Jesus and the other disciples without Judas were praying in what we now call a watch night service. He was agonizing in the garden. Jesus was praying with such passion because the cross was ahead of him until his sweat became like great drops of blood. His prayers were interrupted 
by Judas and Roman soldiers. Judas had predetermined with the soldiers that the one who might place a kiss on his cheek, that's Jesus, you arrest him. And he did that very thing. To which Jesus asked Judas, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? For 30 lousy pieces of silver, he sold him out. And he found out the silver didn't satisfy and he went and hung himself. Now, I don't mean to be insulting, but many in America today and some Christians are selling Jesus for less than that. There's another question in Scripture. It's not going to be on the screen, but it's one that rings throughout eternity. These are the exact words of Jesus. This was in Jesus' final moments on the cross after having beaten with stripes next door to death, after having his beard plucked out and crown of thorns as long, thorns as, long as your index finger put on his head, after being stripped and hanging semi-naked, suspended between heaven and earth, even nature couldn't look on his suffering because the Bible says the sun darkened and the earth beneath the cross began to shake. Come on, help me preach. And the question for God came from the mouth of Jesus and he cried out with his last breath, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, put it on the screen, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You've ever been to that place where you think even God himself hasn't heard you? The power of a question. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus asked Peter, the one who denied him three times before his crucifixion. The man who said, I'll never deny you. Jesus said before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. And after Jesus was resurrected and he appeared to Peter and others, he asked Simon Peter a powerful question. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He was a fisherman. He had nets and he made money and he went back to fishing. Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these things? It's a question for us. Second time in verse 16 of John 21, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Oh, I feel his anointing. Third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? My name is Alan. My father's first name is Sam. And I have occasions where Jesus have asked me, Alan, son of Sam Matura and Joyce Matura, do you love me? Ever since I've been a preacher, and even this week, when I'm tempted to turn it on when I shouldn't, the Holy Ghost says, do you love me? When I'm tempted to let something out of my mouth that I know isn't of God and will ruin my testimony, Jesus asks, Alan, son of Sam Matura, do you love me? He's asking you that when you dial in a movie that's vulgar and with nudity, but you claim to know him. Do you love me? Help me preach here. When you want to cuss somebody out and you know that's not the will of God. When you want to fuss and fight. When you want to be jealous and angry. Before, you see, God will always make a way for you to get out of the temptation. And sometimes he'll ask you by your name. Do you love me? Go ahead and give the Lord a hand. Clap of praise. Show him you love him. 
I get bogged down in my introduction, but I'll watch my time. After he was resurrected, the tomb was empty on the third day, just like Jesus said it would be. Some of the women who loved Jesus and the disciples went to the tomb on the third day and they took pounds and pounds of perfume and spices to anoint the body of Jesus. Upon arriving there, the stone was rolled away and two angels stood, one at the foot and one at the head of where the body of Jesus would be. And the angel, one of them, asked the question, put it on the screen. It's a powerful question for today. The women were perplexed. The disciples were confused. Where is Jesus who has stolen him? And the angel asked, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen, just like he told you. And that's a question for the world, for America, for young people, and people who are seeking life in dead things. You didn't hear me. The television will show you that a certain beer or alcoholic beverage will give you life. Your friends and peers will tell you a certain dress or a certain image or a certain rock band, demon-possessed, drug-snorting, cocaine-shooting-up rock band should be your idol. I'm just a preacher, okay? So, so don't throw your stones at me. I'm just a mailman, okay? I don't throw rocks at the mailman when he brings me something from the IRS. I just go ahead and deal with it. I'm just a preacher, okay? And, and I want to tell you, there are some powerful questions to be asked. And, 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 and the question is, uh, can I find life with having sex outside of marriage? Can I, I, saw the, I saw the Billy Graham special three times, My Hope for America. I hope you see it. I hope you look at it. It's a 30-minute program. Billy Graham celebrated his 95th birthday. I asked one of the secretaries to send you a constant contact for our email to your house so you can see it. I prayed with Billy Graham three times this week, the sinner's prayer. Because on, on his program were two people who thought that they could find life in sex and drugs and alcohol and the world and in music. And I want to ask you this question, those of you that without Christ, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Only Jesus can give you life. And if you'll run to Him, He will give it to you. Somebody praise Him with your hands. Back to our text. The question of the day is this. By four leprous men found in verse number 3. Part B, why are we sitting here until we die? Samaria and the people of God who inhabited the city had been besieged by the Syrian army. Famine had covered the land. Things had become absolutely hopeless and desperate. In chapter 6, prior to our text, we are told that things had gotten so bad that a donkey's head was sold for 25 pieces of silver and that dove's dung, dove manure, was sold for five pieces of silver because people were so desperate for something to eat. It had gotten so horrible until the people resolved to cannibalism. When you read chapter 6, and I won't take you there, 
One mother approaches the king with another mother, two mothers, and they told the king, we made a deal, king. We'll cook my child today and eat him, and you'll cook yours tomorrow and we'll eat him, but she doesn't want to cook hers. Can life get so bad? It did then. And the Bible tells us all of this happened because Israel sinned. Can I get an amen? Elisha had warned Israel about their sins. His predecessor Elijah had warned Israel about their sins. Just like Billy Graham on his 95th birthday, the greatest evangelist since the Apostle Paul. He says, I want to leave you with a message of hope. We may never see him on the screen again. He's 95. We may. But he says, just in case, I want you to know that America needs revival. It won't come from the White House. It won't come even from the church house. It'll come from the house where Jesus is and in your heart. Your house is, your body is the house of God. And if you want revival, it must begin in your heart and my heart. We are suffering in America the consequences of our sins. There's a famine in America today. Oh, but pastor, I beg to differ. Let me explain. There's not a famine of food. The only reason that people go to bed hungry in America today is because there's not a proper distribution of food to the needy. Our grocery stores and many restaurants throw out tons and tons of food every night across America that could feed every American that's hungry and even many third world countries. There's not a famine of food in America. There's a famine of God. There is a famine of biblical morality and biblical truth. America has exchanged political correctness for biblical accuracy and we are suffering. We've taken God out of schools. We've taken God out of government. We've taken, we want to take God out of our money. And I won't tell you, I won't tell you, God will not let America go no more than he let Sodom and Gomorrah go without which they repent or suffer the consequence of disobedience. There's a lack, there's a famine of reverential fear of God. God's not your buddy. Jesus is not your pal. You don't hang out with Jesus. He is the son of God. There's a famine in America of prayer warriors. Call a prayer meeting. You have a handful. Call a barbecue meal and you can't hold the crowd. I'm just preaching. I'm standing behind the pulpit to protect myself. There's a famine in America of preachers who are afraid to tell the truth because they want to hang out with politicians and talk show hosts and rock stars. And they won't call sin, sin. I love homosexuals and lesbians and adulterers and fornicators and liars and cheats and murderers. I love them all. But God doesn't have a disclaimer for homosexuals who want to get married. Because God doesn't bless that. God doesn't have a disclaimer for adulterers who want to commit adultery and still think they're saved. We lack men of God in the pulpit who have a backbone like a soul log. May God raise up pastors who are not afraid of members or some committee 
I got elders in this church and I need elders, but they don't tell me what to preach. I got tithers in this church, but don't you dare come telling me what to preach. You're not my boss. I'm not trying to be cocky. I'm going to stand up to God one day. Four leprous men. Chapter 7, they were not allowed to go in the city because they were considered unclean. So the army of the Syrians are outside the city. The lepers are sitting at the gate because they were outcast. The army of a hundred or maybe two hundred thousand well-equipped soldiers are waiting to starve the people of Israel out of their walls. There's some things that take place about the power of a question I want you to see in this story and I'll hurry. Number one, the condition of the lepers were hopeless. Look at the screen, verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers. The disease of leprosy was nasty, stink, contagious, foul. Your appendages would, would rot and your fingers would fall off. Your earlobe would fall off. Your nose would fall off. Your flesh would rot. They were outcasts. Lepers were by law commanded that when they're within 50 feet of, of anybody or any crowd, whether they're going to the market or they're going someplace else, they within 50 feet were to yell out, unclean, unclean, so the people could disseminate and not be contagious or receive leprosy because of contagious virus disease. I don't know about some of you, but sometimes in our lives we can feel alienated or hopeless. Can I get an amen? I don't know if you've ever been through a divorce, but you could feel alienated or hopeless. Maybe you're going through one now. You didn't ask for it, didn't want it. But we all at times feel hopeless. Maybe your health is deteriorating and the news from the doctor was not the news you wanted to hear and you feel alienated and hopeless. Maybe you are in bankruptcy or facing foreclosure. Maybe you are hopeless because of the consequences of somebody else's choice and decisions they made. You are suffering because of them and you feel hopeless. There's a second thing I want you to see about the lepers. Not only was their condition hopeless, but secondly, their calamity was certain. Anybody who had leprosy was sure to die. They were going to die. That was the only thing sure about their life. They were going to die. I don't know when these four guys, they may all die at the same time. One may die before the other, but they were going to die. And here they were, famine in the city, armed soldiers about half a mile from here, their body and their flesh stinks and they're sitting at the gate with leprosy and no food. They felt stuck at the gate of Samaria. I have a powerful question for you. Have you ever felt stuck? I have. More than once. Stuck at the gate of your suffering. 
Back in February, I felt stuck. And some of you, you try everything and you're stuck. Like the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years hemorrhaging, stuck. Spent all her money, but she came to Jesus. Like the man at the pool of Shalom, for 38 years he laid at the pool, hoping to be the first one in the water. When an angel came to trouble the water at an unannounced time, the first one in the pool would get healed. For 38 years, he was stuck. Have you ever felt stuck in your past? It keeps haunting you. Have you ever felt stuck at the gate of your pain? Have you ever felt stuck at the gate of your discouragement or disappointment? Have you ever felt stuck at the gate of your past abuse? You're an adult now. But you were molested or abused or otherwise violated as a child in your innocence. And the video keeps playing in your mind. You feel stuck. Help me preach here. Have you ever felt stuck in your addiction? In one week, out the next week, in two weeks, out three weeks. Have you ever felt stuck at the gate of your loneliness? Here's a third condition I want you to see. About these lepers, not only was their condition hopeless and the calamity certain, but their choice was obvious. Look at the screen or in your Bible, verse 4. They're stuck at the gate and they say, If we say we will enter the city, the famine's in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall only die. Look at this. We go in there, we die in the city. We go out there, we die. We sit right here, we die. Die there, die here, die here, everywhere, die, 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 die. You ever feel like that? That choice was obvious. There's a 100% chance we're going to die if we go into the city because they're selling dung real cheap, real expensive, I should say. Oh, God. I know you're going to lunch later, but just get it out of your mind. <laughs> They're selling a... I know people eat a lot of stuff, but when's the last time you had donkey head? Okay, I'm not going there. Somebody might raise their hands. I got, I got to flush some things out of my mind. I can't say everything I think about. The question for the lepers were... Where is the place of most possibility for us to live? A 100% chance we're going to die in that city because they're dying, eating their children. A 100% chance sitting right here at this gate, pretend this, this rail is the gate, we're going to die. But there's 99.9% chance we're going to die if we go to the Syrians. There's about a .099 chance that if we go there, they'll feed us or we could eat the scraps, least we'll die with our belly full and not hungry, which is the English for hungry. Alante, come. Trey, come. Joel, come. Four lepers at the gate. These are my fellow lepers. I, I want to give you a, a picture image. Get my arm, leper. Get this arm. Get this arm. Trey, you and I done this before, and so did you and Joel. Assume the posture of like you're a leper. Hey, don't no handsome leper. Okay. Okay, you, 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 go, you make a choice now. We go in. We're going to get up. Why sit we here? Look, ask me. Why sit we here till we die? Why 
Watch here until we die. I didn't hear you. Watch here until we die. What was your question? Why did I sit here till I die? Huh? Well, what are we going to do? <laughs> we ain't going on TV, I can tell you that. We're we going to get up. Come on, guys. We're we going to help each other. We're going to get up. Go sit in those chairs right there, lepers. You're about the lousiest lepers I've ever been with. They didn't just sit around and talk about it. That's part of our problem. And you see us now. Well, they said we're going to die. Anybody ordered the pastor yet? Let's go pick our casket. You need to plan, okay? I, didn't, I haven't picked mine yet. I really don't. Oh, help me, Jesus. I won't know what my wife picks. Because I'll be up in glory. She might put me in a cardboard box. That's all right. Because all that's there is the shell. You understand? I don't know where I'm going with this. Some of us are given bad news. And we go ahead and play out the scenario. What if, what if, what if, what if it is cancer? What if I'm going to die? What if I'm going to get a divorce? What if I'm going to lose my job? What if my children are going to stay on drugs and alcohol? Hang on. What if, what if, and all you do is live what if, and next thing you know you get panic attack, anxiety attack? What if my marriage tears up? Well, if it, what if, you should always answer what if, like the three Hebrew children who were threatened with a burning furry furnace. King, we don't know how to answer you, but this one thing we know, we're not going to bow we're not going to bend, and by God's grace, we're not going to burn. Because our God is able to deliver us. Somebody give a Lord a, somebody help me praise the Lord. Ma, ma, Okay, give me the next point. Put it on the screen. Put it on the screen. Their commitment was courageous. So they arose up to twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. When they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was nobody there. Whoo! I'm getting there. Courageous commitment. Sometimes you got to get another leper to help you to get to where the answer is. You know, I don't want nobody telling me about no heart surgery if I'm scheduled for heart surgery if they ain't had some themselves. Can I get a witness here? All right, men, especially men, talking about women being pregnant and the pain. The only thing I know about a woman being pregnant and the pain of that is I had a kidney stone. I had two in, in some years ago. And they say a kidney stone, the pain of it is like a woman having a baby, the kind of pain it is. Man, that kidney stone should have come out of diamond because it caused me so much pain. You understand? So what I'm saying to you is if you can't get somebody who is... I know the best encouragement I can get is somebody who's done there and been there and God brought them back and they got a testimony and I understand if God did it for them, He'll do it for me. Come lepers, come, 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 come. This, this is the gate of Samaria. We're going, over to, we're going over to the army. Come back, come on over here guys. Re, rejoin us. Rejoin me, come on. My fellow, yeah, yeah. Okay. The Bible says, they, let's go. We go into the gate. They're fumbling. They smell bad. They got bad breath. They got bad knees. But they're stumbling, stumbling. Stop right here, lepers. Face, face the whole, face the congregation. Come where the camera can catch us. The Bible says that fumbling footsteps of these lepers, God made sound. Go ahead, step like right in your steps. God made sound like a chariot and horses of the enemy. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, step, step. You don't know what praising God can do. You don't know what your footsteps can do. You don't know what faith in God can do. 
Lepers, you stand back over there. Just stand right there and just remain in a full posture. Oh, God, help me. I'm fixing to bring some music out. Just stay right there, guys. They got in the camp. Oh, my Lord. And nobody was there. But there were horses, there were chariots, there was clothes, there was gold, there was silver, there was food galore. Because when the Syrians heard the noise of the footsteps of the lepers, they didn't know that. They didn't know they were lepers. They said the king of Samaria has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians and, and, and has hired their armies to come and fight us. They left everything and ran for their life. And the lepers, go through the camp, guys. Pick up stuff. Stick it in your pocket. Took gold. Took silver. Go ahead, lepers. Oh, go, go, eat the food, guys. Eat the, go, go on, everybody. Yeah, yeah. stuff it in your pocket. Come on, stuff it in. Yeah, you greedy, hungry lepers. Come on. Stand right there where you are, guys. All right. Last point. Is there another point to this? Make up one, man. I need one right now. Their conclusion was miraculous. I got a question for you. How long will you stay stuck? How long are you going to sit there? Not me. Not me. I went off this week with my wife, took my Bible and a notepad, and started planning for 2014. Because you know what God showed me? This church is going to another level. And it ain't because of the size of our building, and it ain't because of me. But God increased the walls and gave us this building because there are people out there in spiritual leprosy. There are people out there in all kinds of financial leprosy and marital leprosy. Come on and help me here, somebody. There are teenagers out there who need to know by the ministry of this church that you don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to hang out with the world and the flesh and the devil. And if you'll make up your mind, if you'll get you a leper friend or somebody and begin to praise God, God will give you your blessing. Stand to your feet. Everybody, stand to your feet and give him praise. Thank you, guys. Everybody, come on. Give the Lord some clap of praise. Everybody, all over the church. I can't hear you praising. Come on, shout out. Shout out, praise the Lord. Shout out two more times. Praise the Lord. One more time. Praise the Lord. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, my, 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 my. Here's what I got. I got one more question for you that I can't leave without asking you. Bow your heads. Holy Ghost won't let me leave without asking you this question. Here's a question Pilate asked the Jews concerning their criticism and condemnation of Jesus. When the Jews falsely accused Jesus, and they brought him to Pilate because they couldn't kill anybody. The Roman law wouldn't let them kill anybody, but they wanted Jesus killed. And after Pilate, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, questioned Jesus and found no fault in him, he asked a question that every one of us have to answer today, if we haven't already answered it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Everybody in this church, you are presently answering this question today. Pilate asked, what then should I do with this Jesus who is called Christ. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I'm asking you this question. What are you doing with this Jesus who is called Christ? If you're not serving him, then you've already made your choice. You don't need to leave here stuck for eternity. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You don't need to leave here stuck 
on an addiction or in your past or with the wrong people. Jesus is the resurrection. And you have a choice with your head bowed and eyes closed. You have a choice to retreat and run and hide, remain in your mess, or run to Jesus. Retreat, remain, or run. I think if I was you, I'd run to Jesus. Head bowed and eyes closed. I'm coming to Jesus, Pastor. I need to be saved. I need to rededicate my life to Christ. Every Christian praying, raise your hand for just 10 seconds if that's you. I'm only giving 10 seconds. That's it. And now I've got about seven left. Hold it up. Hold it up high. I want to count those hands because it means something. Hold it up high. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. There may be more, but thank God for you. Keep your hands Keep your, put your hands down now. Everybody, look at the pastor. Everybody raise your hands to the Lord. And I want you to repeat the sinner's prayer after me, just like Billy Graham had all of America do. Everybody out loud with your eyes wide open, but look, look not into a light, but look into the ceiling like you're looking in the sky. Say out, out loud after me, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be saved. I confess I'm lost. And I'm asking you today, Will you forgive me of my sins? Today, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my mess, into my life. And I pray today that you, Jesus, will make something beautiful out of my life. Keep me, Jesus, from being stuck. I choose to live and not to die. Lord Jesus, cover me with your blood. I believe that you are the Son of God. I repent of my sins. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now congratulate them. Congratulate them. Come on, congratulate them. I said, praise God. We're not stuck anymore. Okay, they're going to sing. But I need some people here today who, gonna, who need to get up from where you are standing. Well, let me change this. You're standing. You know, how the, you know how the lepers got what they wanted? They changed their posture. They, their posture was slumping down at the gate, but they changed their posture and they stood up. If you need anything from the Lord, I, you're saved now, but you need anything from the Lord. You say, I am not going to sit here until I die. I'm not going to leave this house this morning without praising God. I don't know what my praising is going to sound like, but I know the leper's footsteps sounded like an army. And I just believe if I don't even feel like it, I'll go up there and praise God, and it'll drive demons away. Come if that's you. Come, prayer team. Come if that's you. Start singing. Come on. Don't leave unless you have to, because I want to shake your hand and greet you after church at the front. So stay with me. Everybody raise your hands all over the house. Raise your hands. You know somebody's stuck. Pray for them right now. Come on. Come, come and praise him. Come with your, come with your husband or your wife. Come on, come on. Come with your brother, your sister. Come with, some, come with your friend and just begin to pray. Begin to praise God. Say, God, I want to praise you. Come on. I won't turn back. I know you are near. Everybody sing with him. Sing, sing with him. Come on. Come on. I'm not going to let go. Keep coming. Keep coming. Come, teenagers. Come middle schoolers, come high schoolers, come college students, come single moms and single dads, keep coming and praise Him. Whom then shall I praise? 
Everybody, here we go. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit smmcog.com.